start off with a word of prayer. God, I'm just so grateful for the fact that I get to be here today. I'm honored to get to open up your word. God, I pray that it's not just my words, but God, that you would speak through me, but even more importantly, that you'd speak through your word. As as your word already says, your word does not come back void. And so, God, I pray that it would go out and would work in our hearts. And, God, that today we'd look a little bit more like you when we leave this place. In your precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, church, I'm super excited to continue on today with our study of 1 Peter. We've been looking at all the chapters going through chapter by chapter in First Peter, looking at how to be a people who have hope in a hopeless world. How do we have hope in the wild? How do we have hope in a world that seems like it's completely and totally against what Jesus has called us to be? Because that's what Peter is writing to, and that's what we see a lot in our world. How do we be a people that have hope in the midst of the hopeless? And so we've been looking at all, all throughout First Peter. Today we're going to be in First Peter chapter 4, if you want to join me there. And as I was reading this passage this week, I, I thought of a story from the, the great book Alice in Wonderland, or the movie, or the cartoon, depending on what era you grew up in. And there, there's this one moment in Alice in Wonderland where Alice is walking along and she's lost, and suddenly she runs into this peculiar, peculiar character called the Cheshire Cat. And suddenly she talk, starts talking to the cat, and she says, Cheshire Cat! She, she realizes she's at a crossroad and she says, listen, would you tell me which way I ought to go? To which the Cheshire cat responds, as many would. He says, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to go. To which Alice responds, well, I don't really much care where, said Alice. So the cat responds, well then, it doesn't really matter which way you go. Because the fact is, if you don't have a purpose in where you're going, it's been said if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And the thing is, understanding where you're going, understanding your purpose, is incredibly important in life. I've heard it said that the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day that you find out why. The fact is, the day you're born is important, but the day you figure out why you're here on this earth is incredibly important in your life Purpose matters. Understanding why you're here and why what it is that you want from your life is incredibly important. And Peter's going to talk to this a little bit. He, he begins in chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Be like Jesus. Have the same attitude as Christ. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result... They do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. I'm going to stop right there for a second because I I love this. He's talking really about what is our purpose as, as Christians. He says, listen to these Christians. He says, have the same attitude as Jesus and live not for your evil desires, but for the will of God. What he's talking about here is ultimately what we talk about a lot. Our mission as believers is to be like Jesus. You know, here at this church, our purpose statement is that we would lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And the reason why that's so incredibly important to me is that I grew up in a world that was changing, in a world where church was no longer something that was necessarily the cool thing to do. It was just another option of things in the world. And as I grew up, what I quickly realized 
is that just going to church every weekend or, or maybe a couple weekends every now and then, knowing some scriptures, maybe knowing a little bit about Jesus just wasn't going to cut it. I realized just going to church for the sake of church, to me, was just useless. Because see, in my life, I came to a point where I realized I wasn't really a follower of Jesus. I was a really decent fan of Jesus. I knew some of his stats. You know, three days in the grave, resurrected, 33 years on earth. I knew some of the numbers. But just like if I met LeBron James, I could probably tell you some of his stats, but he doesn't know me and I don't know him. The same was true for my relationship with Jesus. I knew some things about Jesus. I was a fan of him. I thought he was a pretty cool guy. I even had the t-shirt, had the jersey. But I wasn't a follower of him. Everything in my life changed when I became a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And we believe the same is true for every person. We don't want to be people who just show up to church and spend some time singing some songs and know a few Bible verses. We want to be people who live those Bible verses out. People who, people, people who can have Jesus seen in them, not just talked about. My, my hope is that each and every one of us, when we walk out of this place, people see us as a microcosm of Jesus. And that's really what Peter is going to be talking about here. He's talking about four characteristics I want to pull out of here of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And the first thing that I find in this passage is in the, the first two verses we just read. I found that fully devoted followers of Jesus are people who are centered. Somebody say centered. You know, there's a quote from the great martial artist Bruce Lee. He says, I do not fear the person who's practiced 10,000 kicks one time, but I fear the person who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. See, in our life, anything that we master, anything we become excellent at, will be something where we center our efforts in our life on that thing. Right? Any person you know who's great at any one thing, they didn't become great and excellent at it by simply occasionally going to it a couple times a year. They, they, they took time. An effort and hours and hours and hours becoming great at it. They centered their efforts. They centered their lives on that one thing. And Peter says, once again, the first two verses, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live in the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather they live for the will of God. He says, be like Jesus and live for the will of God. And then we see in John 5, and this is who Jesus was. Jesus gave them this answer. He says, very truly I tell you, the Son cannot do anything by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the other the Father does, the Son does also. What you see all throughout Jesus' life is that Jesus was full of purpose. And oftentimes that purpose conflicted with the purpose that other people had for his life. Over and over again, people would try to get him to do things. He said, no, that's not my purpose. I'm here to do the will of the Father. I'm not here to do that. That's the thing. I don't know if you, you've realized this, but what I've come to realize in my life is that the Bible's true. The Bible says that God has a plan for my life. The problem is, so does everybody else. You ever notice that? The moment you start to do something in your life, something, well, maybe you should do it this way. Maybe you should try this. Maybe you should try that. And that's what Jesus kept coming back to. He kept coming back to the fact that he was centered on doing the will of the Father. 
and nothing else. And he would fight and go against anything that tried to take him away from that. Because the fact is, in our life, being centered is so incredibly important. Because I don't know if you know this, but each and every one of us are centered on something in our life. Now, it may not feel like that. You may think, well, I don't know if I'm really centered on any one thing because I feel like I'm over here this day and maybe I'm over here that day. But the fact is, some people are centered on their own emotions. They center their lives and base everything about how they feel that day, which means there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Some people center their lives on themselves. They're self-centered. Some people center, center their lives on others. And what other people think of them. So when others think they're doing good, well, then they're doing great. And then when other people think they suck, well, then I guess I suck. I've heard it said that if you live for other people's acceptance, you'll end up dying by their rejection. The thing is, whatever we center our lives on is incredibly important. It says in Romans 8, 5, that those who live according to the flesh, that's the human desires that we have that Peter was talking about, they will have their mind... (laughs) I'm going to start that one over. You guys ready? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Fact is, you can't center your life both on your own desires and what Jesus desires for you. They're incompatible. I've heard it said that the, the whole of the Bible can be summed up as saying, listen, do things your way or Yahweh. My way or God's way is ultimately the story of the Bible. We can't center our life on something else and Jesus at the same time. We have to have one mission. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You know, sometimes when my wife and I will go to a store where we have a mission, we're going to buy one thing. Sometimes we'll go to like a Sam's Club or a Costco. Now that's dangerous because you pick one more item at a Costco. That's another 100 bucks. So, I mean, you got to be so careful. And sometimes we'll walk through there. It's like, okay, we got one thing we're buying. So I'll reach over as the wonderful husband that I am, and I'll grab a hold of her hand because, love, you know, that's one of her love languages. But also it gives me some control. Because then when she goes, ooh, I can go, no, no, over here. And, of course, by the end we get out of there, and it's, you know, one item. Okay, fine, two items. Okay, fine, three. And then we have a whole shopping cart by the time we leave. But the thing is, When you have a mission in mind, you have one thing that you're there for, it's so important to focus on that because there's always things that are trying to distract you. And in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, he talks about the fact that it is a lot easier to say no to things in life when you have a stronger yes that's already burning inside you. Meaning this, it's easier to say no to something that's going to go against something I've already said yes to. For instance, in, in my life, if I'm trying to eat healthy, if I've already said yes to having a healthier self and living longer and, and eating better, then I, it's going to allow me to say no to things that go against that. If I've said yes to being in a better financial position, well, then there's things that I'm naturally going to say no to. It starts with me saying a yes rather than saying no to other things. In Nehemiah 6, there's a moment where Nehemiah has said yes to the call of God to go back to Jerusalem and build the wall. And there's some people that are trying to distract from that. And they come up to him and he says this to them. They're trying to get him to come down from the wall. He says, I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I just love that quote because I, I see it over and over in my life. I start to build the things or or allow God to build in me. 
the things that he's trying to build and there's something that's distracting me. Come down from the wall. Let's go do this. Come down from the wall. Why don't you try this over here? And there's moments in my life because I've already said yes to the work that God is doing in my life. There is things I'm naturally going to say no to. There's moments in my life where I will say, listen, I cannot come down. God is doing a great work in me. I cannot come down from the wall. Because what God is doing in me, what I see God doing through me, is more important than anything else. All of this comes about when God is at the center of my life. When I center my life on Him and His will. Because the fact is, there is a difference between God being in my life and God being the center of my life. In my marriage, in my workplace, in my daily life. There's a difference between God just being present, just being a little figure on the shelf that I keep, maybe wear the cross necklace and know a couple Bible verses, and actually having God as the center of everything that I do. It changes the way that I love my wife. It changes the way I love people. It changes everything, and people start to notice. The problem is this is hard. The problem is that sometimes something has to die to be able to get there. In Mark 8, Jesus says, He calls the crowd to Him along with his disciples, and he says, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, the thing is, when I'm centered on Jesus things in my life will naturally start to die. We've talked about this year about the fact that the Holy Spirit is working in us, that it's God who brings us and gives us the will to do His will. And so the fact is, we're not called as Christians to go, okay, here's a list of things I need to do. I'm going to go try to do these and make myself better. Ah, there's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm just going to try to grow some fruit. Fact is, it's the fruit of the Spirit working in me. But when I follow Jesus and I start to follow Him, eventually I'm going to find myself carrying a cross. Eventually I'm going to find myself taking things in my life and crucifying them with Jesus. Eventually I'm going to wake up and realize there's things that have died in my life that didn't look like Jesus. My job is just to center myself on Him, keep my eyes focused on Him, keep getting in His Word, keep praying, keep seeking Him, and He's going to do the work in me. And as things start to die, that brings up the second thing that Peter talks about. Peter, People who are a fully devoted follower of Jesus are changed. Somebody say changed. changed. In verse 3, he says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. How many of you have ever been to a high school reunion? Or maybe a moment where you go back to your hometown, you see someone you used to know 10 years ago, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And you go, man, you haven't changed a bit. You ever see those people? Right? And then sometimes that's a compliment. But sometimes have you ever said that to someone or thought that and it really wasn't a compliment? You know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, you have not changed a bit. You are just as shallow as you were in high school. You know, wow, you have not changed a bit. Like, 
Like, really, you are not any more mature than you were in 12th grade. Wow! See, naturally we assume that people are going to grow up, but not everybody does. The same is true in Christianity. The fact is, if you follow Jesus, if He's at the center of your life, if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but I I guarantee if you're following Jesus, things in your life are going to change. People that knew you 10 years ago will look at your life and go, wow, there's something different about them. The problem is that can be hard to do. It be hard to change. It be hard to allow God to work in us because there's a lot of things that try to go against that. There's a show that I really like with a celebrity chef named Gordon Ramsay. Everybody know who Gordon Ramsay is? Yeah, one, he, he just speaks such wonderful words of life to people, doesn't he? <laughs> My goodness. Thing is, he, he's not very nice to people and he says some not so nice words. Thing is, though, he has a British accent. So it just seems more charming to me. So it's really funny. If someone did that with a southern accent, I'd go, wow, I don't want to watch that. But somehow when he does it with a British accent and says such mean things to people, it just makes me laugh. And he has this show called Kitchen Nightmares, where he goes into a kitchen, into a restaurant, and he kind of goes in and evaluates what's going on, and then he goes to the restaurant owners, and he goes, listen, in my experience, which involves like tons of Michelin stars, tons of restaurants. This guy knows what he's doing. He says, listen, here's what I think you need to do. He ultimately says, listen, you need to do this or you will die. Your restaurant will close if you do not do this. And if you've ever watched the show, and I know a lot of it's probably scripted, but I always find it interesting. This person who knows what they're doing comes into a restaurant and says, listen, you need to start doing these things or your restaurant is going to die. And there's always the response yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, but I know, I know, but we've always done it that way. Yeah, but the, the, the chef is my nephew. We can't fire him. No, no, my grandmother gave us this recipe. It's always interesting the fights that ensue from people that ask for help. They said, I can't do this on my own. And so it's amazing. How often do we do that with Jesus? It's like God starts to convict us of things. We're like, yeah, but, but come on. God, there, you know, I've always done that. God, I've always been this way. I've been doing this since I was a kid. Come on. Oh, God, God I know it's just a little bit. You know, it's, 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 I know that, that show that talks about those things and it keeps sending me into temptation. I know, but you know, I've been watching that show for six seasons. I can't quit now. There's so many things in our life that we try to make excuses for. It's interesting as we look at the life of Jesus. And we look at what happens when Jesus comes into our life. One of the things I've become convicted on is that I think sometimes in my life and for, and for a lot of Christians in the world, we don't actually want salvation from Jesus. We want sedation. We want Jesus to sedate us and make us comfortable while we die. Like, God, just, just give me comfort and blessing so I can arrive safely and comfortably at death. But Jesus in salvation says, no, I want, I need some things in you to die right now so that I can give you new life. He says, follow this way and you will live, but don't and you will die. See, the thing is, change is a natural consequence when we're around Jesus. And what's going to happen is that eventually it's going to spread out to the world around us. In 1 Peter 2.12, what we already talked about, Peter says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. 
Meaning this, that eventually people are going to glorify God because of how amazing and wonderful Jesus worked through you to make you an example to them. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Naturally, what God does in you will come out of you, which is one of the things I love about this church. I see so many ways that God works in us and stuff comes out of us. It just gets me so fired up. Like, like this week, for instance, I found out this week that through your giving, through your help, through your serving, our Daily Bread Food Pantry was able to help out 82 students with all their school supplies. And when I say with all their school supplies, I mean like custom to them exactly what they need, all because of you guys. Like, that's awesome. That's really cool. I love to see that when things come out of this church, because I believe that if God's working in us, he's naturally going to work through us and he's going to do something incredible. The third thing that we see in 1 Peter 4 is that followers of Jesus who are fully devoted are committed they're fully devoted. And in verses 7 through 9, he says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that they may, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers older over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. First thing Peter says is, The end of all things is near. Well, now, what does he mean by that? Is he saying, Tomorrow. We're a little little late otherwise. No, actually what he's saying is this. He's saying that just as it says all throughout Scripture, Jesus said, I don't know the day that my Father's going to return. Even I don't know that. What he's saying is it could be any day because once Jesus went into heaven, the, the salvation process that God had started with him and began all the way back after Adam and Eve sinned, it's it's ready. The next thing is God returns. That's the next thing on the agenda, and it could be any time. So it's near in the time of Peter, and it's near today. It could be any day. Therefore, let's live with purpose, knowing that any day could be our last. Then he says this, to have an alert and sober mind, an alert mind. Somebody say, wake up to the person next to you. Make sure they're still awake. Now, what's he talking about here? He's not just talking about drinking or anything like that. What he's saying is be in control. If you've ever been around someone who's been under the influence of substances, you, you, you probably know they're, they're not the one that's in control, right? Well, it's the same here. He's saying, he's not just saying not to get drunk, but he's really, he's saying to put off anything that intoxicates us and distracts us from our purpose. I mean, you, you ever been around something like, you, you ever like, watched something or, or, or been into something to a point where you're like, wow, that just took all my time. Like, for instance, I don't know if any of you guys are ever on TikTok, but sometimes I'll get on there and you just start scrolling and all of a sudden you're like, how long has it been? Like, I've been sitting here doing this for like an hour and I've learned nothing. I'm dumber for it. Thing is, anything in our life that intoxicates us and distracts us from our purpose is what he's talking about here. He's saying to have an alert mind. I don't know if you ever have driven a road that you drive on all the time. And you just kind of drive it, right? You just don't even really know what you're doing. But then all of a sudden something changes. Like you have a snowstorm or a rainstorm. And all of a sudden the way you drive that road you've driven every single day is suddenly different. Suddenly you've got both hands on the wheel this time. And you're not looking at your phone. You're just looking out the window and trying your best to keep it between the two lines. Because 
you have a reason to be alert. You have a reason. You understand that there's a danger. In the same way in our life, we have to understand the danger that the devil is, is prowling around like a roaring lion. We have to have minds that are alert. And why, he says, so that you can pray. That's interesting. Of all the things, I always found that one very interesting. He's saying, be alert, have a sober mind. Why? So that you can pray. I think that's because prayer is the most important thing you can do. Prayer is the most important and powerful thing you can do as a Christian. Because it's so interesting. A lot of times we'll talk about prayer and we'll say, well, you know, least we can do is pray. Yeah, you know, I mean, I can't really do anything, but I guess we can just pray for them. I think if we really understood prayer and the power of it, it is the most important thing we can do. Prayer is the most important and life-changing thing that we can do in our life. Therefore, what Peter's talking about here is to cast off anything that distracts us or intoxicates us or keeps us away from a life of prayer. In my life, that can be things like the TV, my phone, gossip, sin, treating other people poorly. There's things in your life as well. Anything that would keep me from talking to God. Anything that would keep me from the relationship. Because prayer is the relationship with God. It's a conversation with Him where we speak to Him and He speaks back. It's not just us saying some, some memorized words. It's having a conversation with Almighty God. So anything that would distract me from that relationship is something I should be casting off. Then he says in the verse, he continues on, he says, Love covers over a multitude of sins. Most scholars would put in there, other people's sin. Basically, what what they're talking about here is the fact that when love abounds in a group, forgiveness is going to go up. Because what I have found in my life is that when this relationship with God is okay, then my relationships here are going to be a lot better. When I'm in love with Jesus here and I'm following him, then when you do something to me here, I'm a lot more able to forgive you because I already know I've been forgiven of a lot. When when something happens that annoys me, I'm already, if I'm good here, then I'm going to be a a lot more capable of dealing with that. I find that I think there's no place that more adequately shows me that I'm an idiot than my children. Because I have found that when I'm good with Jesus, all of a sudden then how I love my kids is a lot better. My son does something and I'm like, oh, son, that's not a good choice. We'll make some good decisions, right? And we'll have consequences sometimes. But then when I'm not, maybe I haven't had my quiet time that morning, it's like all of a sudden I take it personally. It's like, how dare you do that to me? How dare you disrespect me? Like he's four and I think he's, I mean, what in the world? But see, when I'm following Jesus, then everything else in my life is going to be better. When I have the love of Jesus in my life, it covers over a multitude of sins. And there's a, it's going to make everything around me better. Then, then Peter continues on and talks about hospitality. If I'm a committed follower of Jesus, hospitality is so important, it's not talked about much in the church. Now, in that day, hospitality was very important because hotels were not a thing. Inns were often dangerous places where you didn't want to send family or people you cared about. So therefore, being able to welcome people into your home was so incredibly important. And I think being able to welcome people into your home is an important thing for today. But ultimately, what hospitality is, it's welcoming people with honor. It's one of the reasons that if people come and are first-time guests here, we love to give them a gift. 
Because we want you to, to be welcomed and honored here. We want you to know that you're welcome here. In our homes, it means welcoming people in to our homes and ultimately to our lives. Sometimes it's like, well, I don't have a clean house. I got a one-bedroom apartment. You know what? The ultimate thing is, do you welcome people into your life, into your world with honor and respect? Are you the kind of people, per, the kind of person that welcomes people in? If you have kids, are you the mom that loves the other kids? That other, other kids want to be around because you just love them so much? In our world, it just means, how are we welcoming the people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, with honor and respect? Do they see Jesus in us in the way that we love them? If we're committed to God, then that's going to happen in our lives naturally. And the fourth thing that Peter talks about, as we continue on, he says they contribute. He says, in starting in verse 10, he says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And he goes on and talks about if anyone speaks, they should then speak as, as if God is speaking through them. If anyone serves and help them to do that, he goes through a list of different strengths and different ways that we can serve. And ultimately he says, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And he says, to use these things so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. The fact is, I have found in my life that saved people are the kind of people who serve people. It's just a natural thing that happens. If you're saved, you're a follower of Jesus, naturally you're going to want to start to serve other people. And it's so incredibly important. And I'm so thankful for those in our church who serve. If you ever need a place to serve, I tell you what, serving in your community is important. Serving in your neighborhood is important. Serving in your family is important. But I think one of the best places that you can really serve and honor God with your talents and your gifts is right here in the local church. Man, love to have you. There's always a place for you to serve and give back and serve God through your giftings. And so many of you do that. Like it just gets me so excited because so many of you have gifts that I don't have. Some of you actually like other people's kids. Good for you. I'm so thankful for you. Some of you actually understand what our soundboard does. I don't. I know if I flick enough buttons, it'll eventually turn on. It's probably why we have some issues with it. I press a lot of buttons. But, you know, I'm so thankful that there's people who love that and serve in that way and want to get back in that way. The fact is we all have gifts and ways that God has gifted you individually. And it's important that we use that together. That's why I'm so thankful for so many of you who tithe and give back from your finances. You say, listen, God's first in my finances, so I'm going to give back in that way. It is so incredibly thankful for that. And also, I'm so thankful for so many of you who serve Jesus, who serve the kingdom, in the way that you live your lives. So many of you, I, I hear you talk about this, about, man, I, I, I heard someone that was really hurting, and I, and I reached out and I was talking to them about what's going on in their life, and I invited them to church, or I, I connected them with this resource, or I prayed with them. The fact is, if we're really fully devoted followers of Jesus, then church doesn't begin at 10 o'clock. Church begins at 11 or 12 or whenever I get done preaching. It begins the moment we walk out those doors and go into the real world. That's the moment where church begins because that's the moment where we're, if we're bringing God with us, we're bringing the worship with us, then church begins when I go out in the world. 
This is just my recharge for the week, but I'm going to continue church on into the rest of my days and to those that I talk about and those that I love. When people ask me about Jesus, I'm going to have a reason for the hope that I have in Jesus. I'm going to be ready to talk to them about it because I've just been fired up from church. A lot of times we see church as this moment to kind of come in and crash at the end of the week, and sometimes we need that. But if we're really in a healthy spot, then we can come into church and go, man, let's get fired up so I can get back out there. There's people who need Jesus out there. There's people who need love out there. There's people who need to see Jesus in me this week. And so my question for us is this. As we look at our lives, and we read how how Peter is talking about this, about what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, is this us? Are we people who are committed? Are we people who are fully centered on God in everything? And the great news is, if it's no, then great! That means we have some work to do. That's awesome. That's an okay place to be. The best place for me to be is understanding my brokenness and the things that are wrong with me while I'm sitting at the foot of the cross. Jesus said, I didn't come to this earth for the healthy people. I came here for the sick. I didn't come here for those who have it all figured out. I came for those who are broken and understood they're broken. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who are spiritually poor, which essentially means blessed are those who are know, who know exactly how messed up they are and understand that they need a Savior. And so I just want to encourage you this week, if there's any area where God has been convicting you on that, man, I need to be a fully devoted follower in this area, or maybe for the first time you're saying, man, I just really want to give everything to Jesus and allow him to have everything in my life, I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want to invite you to bow your head with me as we just come before God and we say, God, our, our, our hope and our desire is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of you, but what we know What I know is that I can't lead anyone anywhere that you're not already leading. I thank you that your your Holy Spirit is working. It's been working before I got up this morning. It was here before any of us even knew what we were doing this morning. You've already been at work. And so, God, I I just want to agree with with your Holy Spirit that anyone who's in this place who's been feeling a prompting from you to maybe step out and give you everything, to step out and... Make this the moment where you have everything in their life. God, I I just pray that in this moment, you'd give them the courage and the peace to step out and say, God, I don't want to do this on my own anymore. I want you to have everything in my life. Or maybe if there's a certain area where we've been struggling this week, God, I pray this is the moment where they hand that to you and say, God, I know you've had everything but, but God, I want to get rid of this but and give it all to you. God, thank you for who you are and how you're working. The fact that you love us so much, but you love us too much to leave us there. God, continue to shape us and mold us and make us look more and more like you. And we are just eagerly expectant of the work you're going to do in us. Because you are awesome, amazing, and incredible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.